it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here until 11 a.m. Eastern. One of the greatest sports days in all of the calendar. One of the best days of the year in general. It is Major League Baseball opening day. And I can think I could say this for a fact, at least for me personally. I'm not sure how you feel. The sport league that has, you know, that returns on their opening day, for me, baseball is always the one I look forward to the most. Love baseball. Big Mets fan, as, as you can see right here, representing. But opening day for me is always the day I look forward to the most compared to NBA opening night, NFL opening weekend, college football opening weekend, hockey uh, puck drop. It's always like a celebration. It always feels like a national holiday anytime Major League Baseball opening day rolls around. And it feels so good. So good to say that. So let's go. As a Mets fan myself, you can hear a little extra pep in my voice. Big deal done with Francisco Lindor. Ten years going nowhere. And now we can focus on baseball. Let's go. Let's go. It'll be a great show. Very exciting show. Matt Snyder from... CBS Sports, a tremendously talented MLB reporter. He'll join us at 10.20 Eastern. We will go back and forth. MLB predictions. Who's winning each division? Who's going to the World Series? We'll go back and forth. There's a few. There, I will say this. as a little teaser here. There's one team everyone is high on. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying they're going to stink. I have some serious reservations because they are kind of bank. This one team is banking a lot of things going well. And I want to just ask Matt, ask the question, what if things don't go well? Obvious, but there's a lot of a lot of good things have to go, at least for me, for me in my mind, for this team to go to the World Series. But a lot of people pick them to go to the World Series. So we'll discuss, am I being the crazy one? Is everyone else being the crazy one? We'll get Matt's thoughts again. 10, 20, Eastern, MLB predictions with Matt Snyder. We have a good year, I will say. 2021, right? We're three months into the year. I guess now technically four since we're uh, on April 1st, April, April Fool's Day. We'll definitely be doing a lot of jokes in this show for sure. Um, not. <laughs> um, 2021, though, for sports has been the year of the loser in a good way. Browns, Bills get a playoff victory. The Baylor Bears going back to the Final Four for the first time since 1950. A lot of teams are breaking postseason losing streaks. Which team is next? We'll tell you that. We'll do that in about 45 minutes or so from now. Now, NFL goes to a 17-game schedule. I have changed my tune. I'll tell you why. And a whole lot more to get into as, again, we're here until 11 a.m. Eastern. Of course, as we always are on the Worldwide Sports Network, we're coming to you live. As a reminder, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot, uh, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford. Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, classic New York pizza joint in Bayshore, or online at BigItalyPizza.com. So like I said, we, we will be in and out of Magic Baseball Talk all, uh, all morning long. I'd love to get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, 
at Ryan Hickey Show as well. You can get it on Twitter. You can get it on Facebook. Give your thoughts. A lot of Major League Baseball talk. What are you feeling? What's your World Series prediction? Yeah, we'll do that with Matt Snyder um, in about an hour or so from now. But I do want to at least start the show. And I do want to ask the question when it comes to the NBA, did the rich truly get richer? Because that was the perception over, let's say, the past week. Because obviously, as we know, the trade deadline has come and gone. A few big moves. Denver right now with Aaron Gordon is actually looking like a, a very productive move for them so far. The move I personally thought that would make the most impact and at least put the Sixers in a great position to succeed in the East didn't happen as Kyle Lowry was not traded from Toronto. Staying there. But after the trade deadline has come and gone, the buyout market was very active. Three contending teams, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nets, all made one move or another. The Nets got LaMarcus Aldridge. Clippers, according to Sham Sharania, looks like they're going to sign Boogie Cousins. And the Lakers signed Andre Drummond, who made his debut last night. 14 minutes, four points. He had a rebound, a block, three turnovers. Unfortunately, did leave the game early with the toe injury. We'll see the status of him going forward. Only played, uh, like I said, 14 minutes, so didn't get a lot of run there. But when these moves are made, when these three contending teams made these three moves for big men on the buyout market, last week there was a lot of uproar on Twitter. There's a lot of hoopla. There's a lot of throwing the hands in the air. Like, oh, the rich get richer. Yeah, this is unfair. This is unfair. The Nets now, LaMarcus Aldridge uh, team, teaming up with, with Blake Griffin and, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Oh, this is just, this is not fair. Andre Drummond teaming up with LeBron and AD. <sighs> NBA's not fun anymore. A lot of complaining, a lot of, of throwing the hands in the air, a lot of disgust, if you will, that these three contending teams, already very good teams, right? There's, there's no doubting that. But they made some moves that, some people thought put them over the top. But I want to say this. Nostalgia, it's a hell of a drug, right? We look back, and sometimes, as we know, stories get exaggerated. Things that we thought were so great growing up as a child or maybe even a decade ago when we look back on it maybe truly aren't as good in, in reality as we thought they were. And that's what I think is happening here with Aldrich, with Drummond, with Cousins. When we hear these big names go sign with these big teams, we're remembering these players for who they used to be and kind of equating that to, man, that's who they're getting, that's who these teams are getting, instead of looking at the player and who they are right now and seeing that's the kind of player they're getting. Because I'll say this, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Nets, if they are somehow come playoff time relying on their buyout market centers to be legitimate impact players, they're in trouble. I can almost guarantee you they're not winning a title. If the Nets lead them, uh, if the Nets need Lamarcus Aldridge, excuse me, to play 35 minutes a night in the postseason and legitimately contribute, if they need 25 and 10 from every night, I can promise you the Nets are not winning a title. If the Lakers now basically need Andre Drummond to do his best Anthony Davis impersonation playoff time, the Lakers aren't winning a title. Because at this point in their careers. These guys are more names and production. LaMarcus Aldridge, LaMarcus Aldridge, he's, I don't know why I can't say his name today. LaMarcus Aldridge, Andre Drummond, Boogie Cousins, these guys are names. And right now, their names are bigger than truly what their production is on the court. And especially when you look at the roles they're being brought in to play, the impact is not great. So for those that are upset at these three teams, for those that think it's unfair or 
the finals already now predestined that's going to be a, a Lakers Clippers or I'm sorry Lakers Clippers a Clippers Nets or a Nets Lakers finals uh, I'd urge you to push the pause button on that I'd urge you to maybe watch how these three kind of work in and rotate in the teams because let's also be honest the players are getting now not bringing much to the table Andre Drummond for example Played last night, started last night, like I said, played 14 minutes for injuring a toe. Before playing last night, he hasn't played since February 12th. It is today, March, uh, April 1st. Almost six weeks. Basically six weeks since Andre Drummond has been on the court. LaMarcus Aldrich was benched from the Spurs March 1st, a month ago. And Boogie Cousins was released from the Rockets back in early February. Almost two months ago. So you have these three guys coming now to contending teams that are, again, names that are that are bigger than true with their production is, and guys that aren't in playing shape. So what kind of impact are they truly going to have? Especially when you look at the regular season, it's starting to wind down. There's only about 25 games left, give or take, in the regular season. So how, how truly can they get back into playing shape, get on the court, get some you know continuity going here, and get into a rhythm when, come playoff time, they're going to be legitimate assets. They're not. Role players, you know, depth pieces, absolutely. But to say LaMarcus Aldridge puts the Nets over the top, or to say Andre Drummond now makes the Lakers, you know, unbeatable in the West, let's pump the pricks a little bit here. Let, 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 let's take a step back here and truly realize who these players are, what they're being brought in for, because that is not the deal. If anything now, they are being brought in to take minutes away from Anthony Davis, if for the Lakers, to ease the burden on Kevin Durant when he returns to just give you some sort of, you hope if you're the Clippers, some consistency at the center position. But other than that, just to get to the, basically get to the playoffs healthy. Take minutes away from other guys that normally would be playing to help them or have them rest a little bit extra more to get to the playoffs healthy. That's it. I look at these three teams. I'll start with the Nets. You know what's not an issue for the Brooklyn Nets this season? Center depth. You have DeAndre Jordan there on the roster. Nicholas Claxton has come out of nowhere this year. He has been incredible. He is a guy, despite his young age, despite his inexperience, he's a guy so far whose play to, almost forces the Nets to play him in the playoffs. That's how good he's been. That, that's how versatile he is as a defender. He's been great since coming on and playing for Brooklyn. He definitely doesn't deserve to lose minutes over LaMarca Chalzich. Remember, just two weeks ago, they signed Blake Griffin. He's had, albeit and granted, a small sample size, uh, success as a small ball center, which Marcus Aldridge, small ball center, or a center, if you will, Blake Griffin having success at the center position. There are four guys that just, or three guys I just listed, that are getting legitimate minutes. So where and when is Lamarcus Aldridge going to be playing and playing legitimate minutes here to make a, a real difference? And let's not forget, too, the playoffs, right? The rotations in the playoffs are what they are in the regular season. You're not playing 10 guys in the playoffs, 12 guys, maybe in the case of the Nets with how much depth they have now, in the playoffs. You're playing two, three, maybe four guys on the bench a game in the playoffs and for not a lot of minutes. So I don't know where the playing time is coming for LaMarcus Aldridge. Not to mention, I mean, the best lineup, we'll see health-wise if it's able to happen, the best lineup for the Nets is KD at five. You want to close and close strong. You'll put him there. But again, 
The depth is there. And if the Nets are relying on him to be a legitimate impact player, that tells you KD is not healthy. That tells you Claxton has gone in the tank. DeAndre Jordan stinks. Blake Griffin's hurt. If you're relying on LaMarcus Aldridge, you're, if you're the Nets, you're in trouble. The Lakers, same thing. Yes, he's starting now, and the Lakers do start AD mostly at the four to kind of do have a center. So sure, Drummond can, can kind of carve out a role here. But again, if Anthony Davis doesn't return, and now you have Andre Drummond as your, as your two to LeBron's one, your title chances are wiped out. Wiped out. So sure, with AD out now, Drummond can help stabilize the center position, and that's assuming, of course, his toe injury is not serious and he can come back relatively soon. But Marcus Saul's really struggled. Montrose Harrell is a defensive liability. And just like kind of Kevin Durant's the best lineup for the, the Laker, uh, for the Nets at five, Anthony Davis, closing-wise, is the best at five for the Lakers when they really need to you know, be at their best. So Drummond can start some games. Drummond can take on the Dwight Howard role. But similar to the Dwight Howard role last year, how often are we looking at the Lakers' run to the title last year and saying, man, Dwight Howard's the key. If he gives them 20 good minutes, man, this Lakers team or, or their opponent's in trouble. If you're relying on Andre Drummond to be a legitimate contributor for this team, you're in trouble. Same with the Clippers. You have Zubats. You, you, you brought in Serge Ibaka. Both have a playoff experience. I know Ibaka's hurt right now. But those are your two guys. Those are your two centers going forward. So Boogie Cousins can come in and provide, you know, play some extra minutes, maybe play some mop-up duty to give those guys some extra rest going to the playoffs, but nothing more than that. Not to mention, I mean, Boogie Cousins, great guy. What he did, at least in, in Houston, trying to be a good teammate, admirable. But he can't be relied upon. He, he, he just He's too injury prone at this point in his career. So you're not bringing these signings, and you're not bringing any of these three guys in here to be the finishing piece, if you will. So that's why pump the brakes a little bit. Let's calm down on the throwing of the hands up in the air of the fake outrage, if you will, that now, you know, this is over. The Nets are by far and away the team to beat in the East. The Lakers and the Clippers by far and away better than everyone else because they signed three buyout centers whose, again, names, at least in my mind, carry more weight right now than their actual play on the court. And again, if any of these three teams are relying on either LaMarcus Aldridge, Andre Drummond, or Boogie Cousins for legitimate contributions. It's already over. It's already over. So I'm curious your thoughts. Well, let's start a little NBA talk. Andre Drummond made his debut at the Lakers last night. He started in the lineup, only played 14 minutes. LaMarcus Aldridge should uh, start soon for the Nets. And we'll see Bo Boogie Cousins when he can get into the lineup for the Clippers. Any of these three guys making a true impact? Do you see any of these moves by the Lakers, the Nets, or the Clippers as being the finishing move, if you will, the one that put them over the top. Now, without a doubt, they are the favorite either in the East or the West. Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show, as well on Twitter. So we get your thoughts, and I do want to talk some domination here. The Final Four in college basketball is set. Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, Houston. But I want to kind of talk about Baylor. I mean, Baylor. I want to talk about Gonzaga here. Because it's one aspect of their game, watching them throughout the season and especially in the tournament now, that at 26 years old, I feel pretty confident saying I have never seen before. I'll tell you what that is next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.
Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Going until 11 a.m. Eastern with you on this opening day. Happy opening day, sports fans. Again, for, for all baseball's issues, and trust me, they have plenty. For all of the lack of interest and declining interest, if you will, where NFL, you see their ratings and interest is skyrocketing. NBA, same thing. Major League Baseball has fallen behind the times. But I will say, they always do produce and have the most hype for the start of their season more than any other league. Now, if it was, you know, if it was to stay there for more than a day, that'd be nice. But it is great to have baseball back. Great to have opening day back. Great to be a Mets fan for those Mets fans out there. I said that. So I'll say this really quickly. Give you a little peek behind the curtain. Big Mets fan. I got my Mets jersey on here. My Jacob DeGrom Mets jersey. Pumped up for tonight. Never, never really. I will say this about the Francisco Lindor negotiations quick here. Big contract extension for Francisco Lindor in case you missed it. Broke late last night. A lot of doubt that this is going to happen. I'll say this. Not to toot my own horn. Did have no doubts that this contract will get signed because it made too much sense for the Mets to do it and it made too much sense for Francisco Lindor to do it. They both needed this deal. Able to come together in the middle, lock it in. I will say, I was a tiny bit nervous as we were starting to get closer and closer that a deal wouldn't get done. And driving home last night from the train, in my car, 10-minute drive, screaming at the top of my lungs, fired up, pumped up. And I said the words, thank God I'm a Mets fan. And then it hit me, being 26 years old. I think that's the first time in my life I've ever said those words. Thank God I'm a Mets fan. Usually it's been the opposite. Quite, out, quite, uh, quite frequently, easy for me to say, I thought it, or I, it usually is the opposite. I think, so it just hit me for the first time. I think that was the first time I've ever uttered those words. Thank God I'm a Mets fan. Things are changing. See, look, and that's also too, I, I'm an eternal optimist. Mets actually have a pretty good team this year. But every opening day, whether the Mets could win 90 games or could win 50 games, always going to opening day thinking this is the year. Now, I've been wrong for 25 of them, probably for 26 going into this year as well. But that's, that's always the, the joy opening day. It gives you, you know, a little hope. Even if you're a Royals fan, a Giants fan, a Tigers fan, there's always some sort of uh, Pirates, probably the closest thing to hopeless you can have right now in baseball. But there's still always a, a little joy and a little hope there when it comes to Major League Baseball. So we'll talk to Matt Snyder from CBS Sports one hour from now. Go back and forth season predictions. We'll get his thoughts. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts as well. We'll do some opening day stuff. NFL, top of the second hour. 17-game schedule. I've changed my tune. I'll tell you why that is. But I do want to highlight here, as the Final Four came, or the Final Four now is set, excuse me, Elite Eight, Monday and Tuesday, we had the four teams, Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, Houston. I want to touch on Gonzaga here for a second. Because honestly, watching them this year, being, again, 26 years old, so not obviously around on this earth as long as a lot of other people here. But at least in my short time on this earth, watching Gonzaga, I feel like I'm watching something I have never seen before in college basketball, and that is this. 
their consistent dominance. I feel like I've never seen that before in any really college sport. Alabama's come close, obviously, in terms of college football-wise. But college basketball, with still so many games, 30, 35, 40 games you're playing a year, being 18 to 22-year-old kids, I have never seen this consistent dominance from a college basketball team in my lifetime. Again, I've been here for 26 years. So I'm not going back to, you know, the UCLA days with John Wooden. I'm not looking back at, you know, Indiana with Bobby Knight here in the 70s. This is just me, again, as a millennial, if you will, started watching basketball probably early 2000s. This is the most consistently dominant team I've ever seen in college basketball. Let's look at it. They're 30-0, right? There are two wins from a national title, two wins from an undefeated season. 30-0. 29 of those wins have been by 10 or more points. They only have won one game this year, and that's against West Virginia early on in the year. They've only won one game this year in which they've won by single digits. That's, that's insanity. And half of those games, 15 out of the 30, they've won by 20 or more points. Now look, they play in the WCC, the West Coast Conference. They're not playing in the ACC or the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or the Big 12. I get it. But honestly, the fact that they play in a weaker conference, the fact that they have been able to consistently dominate inferior opponents, that is, honestly, maybe it's even more impressive because there has been zero letdown at all. And especially watching college sports, college football, and especially college basketball, just the amount of games that are played, that's, that's basically impossible. You ask these kids that are 18 to 22-year-olds, that are college kids that are distracted, that are, you know, that care about all these other things. Obviously, they care about basketball. Obviously, they're there to play basketball. But you know, you could, you could step on the court, and if you're Gonzaga playing San Francisco or Portland State, you realize you could throw your jockstrap on the court, and you'll win the game. So sometimes you can go in the, in the game not focused, not motivated, just because ah, we're going to wipe the floor with these guys. And as we know, because there's so many games, you have an off night, the other team has a, you know, a career night, Upsets happen, or you can at least have a close game. That has not happened for Gonzaga. They have come in there with a business-like mentality. Every single game have wiped the floor with every single opponent we have. And they haven't really, for the most part, even been susceptible to an upset. In the, in the West Coast Conference Championship game against BYU, they're down at halftime, down in the third quarter, end up coming, or in the second half, excuse me, and they're coming back, did win that game by double digits. But other than really that, I can't think of a, a game or recall a game where they were even susceptible, even at halftime, to an upset. So for Mark Few to have his guys playing hard, playing consistent on a night-in and night-out basis, that might be one of the greatest things Again, I have seen in my lifetime as a 26-year-old college basketball fan because it's impossible. You can't have college kids play this good every single night on a consistent basis. You can't have them dialed in for Portland State on a Tuesday night every single time. But they have been. And it's been impressive and fun to watch. Now, obviously, look, it helps when you are one of the most talented teams. They have three All-Americans, Corey Kispert, Jalen Suggs, who – Arguably could be the number one overall pick in the draft, depending on which team is there and what they're feeling. And Drew Timmy. So just talent-wise, again, you can throw your sneakers on the court and you'll win every game. But even in the tournament, 
even now when you're out of the West Coast Conference, and even when they played in the non-conference, when they played Iowa and Kansas and West Virginia and won all those games, even in the tournament now, where we already saw on the first weekend of games, 11 upsets, which is already a record for the entire tournament. And that should happen just in the first four days. We saw every other team have, even if they won, have a scare, have a letdown, have a half or like, oh boy, this team really it? I mean, honestly, even Baylor. Baylor half is down to Villanova by, I think it was what, seven points. In the second half, Villanova came out and played well the first five minutes without their, without their star, Colin Gillespie. So there was at least so, some letdown. There was some doubt, if you will, about Baylor for the first half in that game against Villanova. Every other team you, you can point to that's made it this far has had a scare. Houston almost should have lost to Rutgers, honestly, didn't. UCLA has just been a magical team, but they've gone back and forth every game. Gonzaga ha- has wiped the floor with every team they played so far through the four games. And again, there was no even doubt. There's no 10-minute stretch where like, oh, maybe they have a shot here at losing. Maybe this team could pull an upset. It just shows the consistent dominance that, again, we rarely see in college basketball, even in the NBA. I know it's a little different in the NBA, but back at, even when the Warriors won you know, 73 games, they had nights where they had letdowns. They had nights where there was a team like the Knicks when they were really bad or the, the Wolves, or like the Cavaliers. Like there have they're, been plenty of games, even in that 73-win season that they've played with Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. Were they games closer than they should have been because they're just not focused? Because, ah, oh, we're going to blow every team out. We're better than, we're so much better than everyone else. So we're just going to cruise control. And they'll win most of those games, but they're maybe closer at halftime or, or maybe in the third or fourth quarter. It's a close game. That didn't happen one time so far with Gonzaga. And it's incredible. And this is also, mind you, this dominance, this consistent dominance is going on with them chasing history. They are chasing history, and they are two wins away from joining an elite club. Seven teams in college basketball history have gone undefeated and won a national title. The last one for it to happen, Bobby and I, Indiana, back in 1975-1976. So, was that, almost 50 years ago? Since then, it's not like teams haven't come close. We've had five teams since then enter the tournament undefeated. As we know, none of those guys end up winning. Closest, though, and the most recent, 2014-2015 Kentucky, 38-0. Incredibly talented team. They had Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Willie Cauley-Stein, Tyler Eulis, the Harrison brothers. Talent up and down the roster. 38-0 before they lost to Wisconsin in the Final Four. In total, that team had nine players go to the NBA. I mean, basically, you're too deep is on an NBA roster. That's insanity. But despite all this NBA talent that that Kentucky team had, they still had close games. Even though they're winning it, they're still having nail biters where they got to pull it out in the end. They're still getting pushed by some teams. And you could see towards the end, I remember, especially growing up, as you can see behind me here with the Notre Dame banner, growing up, I was a huge Notre Dame fan before going to school at Penn State. So, big Notre Dame football fan, lesser basketball, but I was growing up, you know, some of those Mike Bray teams were great. And Notre Dame, in that season, 
I remember, pushed Kentucky to the brink where they missed a shot at the buzzer and Kentucky won by two to go on. That was a story of the tournament was, can Kentucky make history? And I think towards the end, it did wear on them. The pressure got to them, and eventually they folded in the Final Four. But you think, or at least that same pressure that was on Kentucky should be on Gonzaga. 30-0, destroying everybody. Try again, trying to make history for the first time since 1975, 1976. But when you watch this team, you have no clue they're undefeated. No clue that they were by far and away the best team in college. Well, I guess you would have an idea. You definitely would have an idea that they're the best team in college basketball. You have no idea that they're tracing history. Trying to accomplish something that hasn't really been accomplished in almost 50 years. Because they play confident, but they also look loose. They're free. They're having fun. That's led to the consistency. So I'll be honest, watching Gonzaga so far, through the regular season, through the postseason right now, their consistent dominance is something I haven't seen in my lifetime. And it's been impressive as hell to watch, and I'm rooting for them to finish the job. I hope they get it done. Hopefully we're sitting here a week from now waxing poetic about Gonzaga going 32-0 and winning a national title and putting the perfect cap on a perfect season. So we're down to four. Final four is set. Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, Houston. Can any team take down Gonzaga? Can Baylor be the one to upset the perfect season? How about upstart UCLA? First four to the final four. Can they keep the magic going? Can Mick Cronin be that kryptonite? and take down a Gonzaga perfect season? Is there any team left in the tournament that you think could give Gonzaga a run? I mean, at this point, how about, I'll put it this way. Forget just beating Gonzaga. Can any team lose by single digits? It's happened one time in 30 games. One time. Can any team just lose by single digits? Facebook Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. If you want to get on the conversation, you can comment on the live stream, that's on Twitter. You can tweet me directly. You can write on the Facebook live stream that's on our Facebook page. Plenty of different ways to interact with the show. So get your thoughts. And speaking of losing, right? We're, we're, right now, I'm just asking for any team to lose by single digits to Gonzaga. Oh, boy. That's, that's, how, that's how good they've been this year. But speaking of losing, 2021 has been the year of the loser. Which team? can break their postseason drought next. I'll tell you who that team is. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio. We're going until 11 a.m. Eastern on this Thursday morning on this opening day for Major League Baseball. I hope, by the way, playing Blinding Lights, I think it's long enough now. Because remember, obviously, the weekend played at the Super Bowl halftime show. And for about a month, give or take, the, the hype, the commercials for the pregame show from Pepsi, we're blaring all over our TVs with this song in the background, and everyone was singing Blinding Lights. And that was played ad nauseum 
for, again, about a month into the Super Bowl. I think now that we're about two months out after the Super Bowl, I think it's right. That, that's enough of a buffer time to come back to playing Blinding Lights. Great song. Love the beat. But we did need some sort of, you know, detox, if you will, from hearing that song. I feel like almost every day, like three or four times a day. I think now the, the craze, if you will, has calmed down, slowed down. And now we're at the point where I think, I mean, me personally, I hope you feel the same way at least, um, is that now we can kind of re-enjoy the song again because now it's not beating over our heads every single day. So good to get a, get a nice beat back by the weekend. So I, I teased the last break. I want to get into it here. 2021 so far, now, now that we're four months in, sports-wise, sports-wise, has been the year of the loser. And that's, I say that in a good way. I say that in a positive way, right? NCAA tournament now, Final Four, we just, we just talked about Gonzaga and their total dominance. To me, something most impressive I've ever seen in my 26 years here on Earth, in college basketball specifically. But one of those other Final Four teams, Baylor, made the Final Four for the first time since 1950. Right, a team and a program that was in shambles when Scott Drew took over have come close, but have fallen short, and now they finally get over the hump, make the Final Four. First time in 71 years, the Baylor Bears are one of the four men's men's excuse me men's team, one of the four teams left in college basketball. Well, the NFL also that was also the year the loser. We had three teams this postseason snap very long postseason winless streaks. The Browns. Make the playoffs for the first time since 2002. They win a playoff game for the first time in my lifetime. Think about that. For the first time in my lifetime, they broke a 26-year postseason winless streak. They were not the only ones, though. The Bills broke theirs 25 years. The Buccaneers, they haven't won a playoff game since they won the Super Bowl. And guess what? That streak broke, and it, it broke pretty quickly, as we know as they ended up did winning the Super Bowl. So three NFL teams really get over the hump, break very long losing streaks in the postseason and extremely long droughts. Baylor ends a very long drought of getting their men's basketball team to the Final Four. So it's been the year of the losers so far. So who is next? Which losing team is either going to break their postseason streak, postseason appearance streak, just making the playoffs, or which team has made the playoffs but hasn't been able to get a win? Which team can finally get over the hump, make the playoffs, and not only make the playoffs, get a win in the playoffs for the first time in a long time? There's a few candidates here. Major League Baseball, opening day, welcome. Congratulations, we all made it. The Mariners haven't made the playoffs in 19 years. 2001 was the last time Seattle had a postseason baseball team. The Pirates, speaking of just ineptitude, haven't won a playoff series, series, because not, we're not counting the one-game wild card, which they won a few years ago. They haven't won a post-game series since 1992. Spoiler alert, hot take alert. That streak for the Pirates is going to continue. That streak for the Mariners is going to continue. Both teams are going to stink. Unfortunately, Seattle Mariners fans, I'm sorry. That streak for not making the playoffs is going to go to 20. The Pirates, your streak is going to extend now even longer of not winning postseason series. So those two teams, very long streaks in baseball. They're both going to continue. The Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals now. Longest streak in football without a postseason win. They've appeared. I mean, that's Marvin Lewis's MO, right? Make the playoffs, can't win a game. Make the playoffs, can't win the postseason game. That was his big knock. 
It's been 30 years since the Bengals have won a playoff game. The Jets currently right now, longest streak in the NFL without making the postseason 10 years. Haven't made it since that uh, that back-to-back AFC title game run that they had in 09 in 2010 with Mark Sanchez. The Sacramento Kings have made the playoffs in 14 years. The Kings and the Timberwolves haven't won a series in the playoffs in 2004. And you have the Sabres right now, which congratulations to Buffalo Sabres fans everywhere. The streak is over. You finally won a hockey game. They haven't made the playoffs in nine years. That's going to continue, though. So some candidates here for biggest losers in professional sports that could finally end their streak of losing. 2021 has been kind to losing organizations who have struggled in the postseason. Who is next? Well, I'll say this. I don't think my answer, I don't think any of these teams I just listed are changing their fortunes in 2021. Unfortunately, the, even though 2021 has been the year of the loser, I don't think that any of these teams are breaking their streaks in this calendar year. So who is next, at least? Who, who's the next team on this list that could snap a losing streak and feel good about themselves? I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think the Bengals, on a 30-year streak of not winning a playoff game, I think they, to me, are the closest. They're closer than the Kings making the playoffs. They're closer than the Mariners or the Pirates breaking their streaks. They're closer than even, to me, the Jets just making the playoffs. Right? That's, not, that's the thing. Bengals have to win a playoff game. Jets just have to make the playoffs. I still think the Bengals are closer to winning a playoff game than any other team I listed here. Here's why. One, they have the most important position in sports, the quarterback. Now, can they keep him upright? Can they keep him healthy? Totally other question. But I think Joe Burrow's legit. I think Joe Burrow is a guy that you can feel confident, you can feel good in if you're a Bengals fan, that this is the guy to lead us forward. When he was healthy, he was playing well, despite an offensive line that was garbage. Despite a head coach that, to me, is not ready for the moment in Zach Taylor, is really not bringing the best out of Joe Burrow personally. And despite a roster that getting there improvement-wise, but nowhere near playoff caliber. But you have the most important piece. Because as we know, what do teams struggle with most? Finding a quarterback. I think the Bengals do have that. You hope Joe Burrow can recover from the ACL injury, come back like he was last year before the injury. Same old Joe Burrow. We're still ready to sling it. Still ready to beat you, arm, leg, whatever it takes to win. That's the thing the Joe Burrow you'll get next year. So you have the quarterback. The offensive line is getting there. Like, there, there is some hope. Jonah Williams, when he was healthy, at least, again, another question about health, was able to play decently in left tackle. They signed Riley Reef from the Vikings, not to be the right tackle. So you think you have, when healthy, two solid enough serviceable offensive tackles to hopefully keep Joe Burr upright, unlike last year when that guy was getting killed left and right. You look at the skill positions that they have, not bad. Joe Mixon, very solid young, uh, young running back. I like Tyler Boyd. I liked, I mean, T. Higgins really got better as the year went on. He really got um, and developed into his own. It's a nice option for Joe Burrow. They, they developed a nice connection when Joe Burrow was on the field and healthy. I like T. Higgins. I think he will continue to get better. And, I mean, when you look at where they are, number five in the draft, I think personally they should go offensive line. You can't have enough tackles. I'd go Panay Sewell personally. you got to keep Joe Burrow upright any way possible. I don't care if you have Jonah Williams. I don't care if you have Riley Reef. You can move one of those guys inside. You can use it as a security blanket. You got to figure. You, you can't have too much offensive line. Just like a baseball, I'll make a baseball now. Cheers, since it's opening day. 
the old adage is you can't you can never have too much pitching. You can never have too much starting pitching, no matter what team you are. Injuries, lack of good play, just you can never have enough good pitching. Well, I'm gonna use that same analogy here for the Bengals with the offensive line. You could never have enough good offensive linemen. You can figure out if you draft Panay Sewell, draft him, and guess what? If you have an issue where you have three really good tackles and can't find playing room, uh, playing time for him, that's a good problem to have. That's what you want to happen. Not where you're looking on the scrap heap here, desperate for anyone, just desperate for a body to come in there and stand in front and hopefully keep Joe Burr upright. But if they don't go Penesul, at number five, you'd think the consensus would be either Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, Jamar Chase, the great wide receiver from LSU. Can't go wrong with either one. So if you don't go offensive line, you're going to give um, Joe Burrow another incredibly talented weapon to throw the ball to. So the skill positions are getting there. And I understand the division is tough. The Ravens are on their way up. The Browns are on their way up. Steelers are on their way down. But right now, the Bengals are still fourth by far in the AFC North. So there's still a lot of work to go there. And I do think, personally, for them to get to the playoffs and win a playoff game, they're going to need a new head coach. I don't think Zach Taylor is the man. And I do think Zach Taylor will be fired, despite that not really being the MO of the Bengals. I think just with when you finally have a quarterback in Joe Burrow, a job is actually, for, them, for the first time, whew, wow, maybe ever? Is it crazy to say now I think about it? Is this, this could be the first time ever. The Bengals head coaching job, if available, is actually attractive. If Zach Taylor is fired, and I believe should be fired at the end of this upcoming year, that will be a very attractive job. You'll have Brian Dable, remember, the Bills offensive coordinator, didn't get a head coaching job, surprising. Byron Leftwich on the rise with, with Tampa Bay as their offensive coordinator. He didn't get a job. There are, there are some young offensive coordinators, Eric Bieniemy. As we know, there, there are some talented candidates that are on the market and could be available that would love to work with Joe Burrow. So you get a head coach in here, that can turn around very, very quickly. So that's why, to me at least, I'm picking the Bengals to be the team, the biggest loser, if you will, that could really turn around their postseason fortunes the quickest. I think, they, to me, they're closer to winning a playoff game than, let's say, the Kings are in the NBA to make in the playoffs, to the Sabres that they are to make in the playoffs, that the Jets are to make in the playoffs, and that the Pirates are to winning a postseason series in baseball being since 1992. The Bengals are getting there. They are building something special. And I just honestly don't – I'm not sold with the Jets just because if you listen to this show, I like Robert – I do like Robert Sala, and so far Joe Douglas has not only impressed me – with at least his philosophy, I like the hire of Robert Sala, but I've also been impressed with the Jets' ownership so far in getting out of the way and letting Joe Douglas do his thing. Let him be the general manager. Because the Johnson family, Woody or Chris, haven't really let their coaches, their general managers, do the job that they're hired for. They meddle a lot. They get involved in decisions. And for the most part, those decisions have been wrong. So they let Joe Douglas hire the head coach. I'm very skeptical, and I have my doubts, that at number two, they do draft Zach Wilson. I don't really see, personally, how that's going to be different than Sam Darnold, how that's going to be any different than even Mark Sanchez. I just, looking at history, looking at the Jets roster right now, 
To me, they need help basically everywhere else, including the quarterback position. Personally, how I would build a team is I would build around the quarterback first, then get the guy. Build up your offensive line. Get some skill positions in here to throw the ball to. Get some get a defense that could get a stop or two, take the, the pressure off. To me, the best way to ensure your, your young quarterback is successful is by having a team good enough to where they don't have to come in right away and be the hero. Sam Darnold, three years ago, had to come to New York and be the hero. He was the reason why the Jets won games. If he had an off game, if he didn't play out of his mind through 300 yards, through touchdowns, the Jets were not winning the game. The defense wasn't good enough to get stops. They had injuries there. The skill, the skill sets weren't you know, good enough to where if, uh, if Sam Darnold, like I say, makes a bad read or throws a bad ball, they weren't good enough to still kind of bail him out. The offensive line wasn't good enough to give him protection, to give him time to read the defense, to throw guys open. It was just all a mess. So you had to have a game or two where, yeah, Sam Darnold would play out of his mind. He'd play great, and the Jets would win. But relying on that hero ball, if you will, from your quarterback is not how you win games, and that's what I think is going to have to happen, or that is what I do think will happen if the Jets draft Zach Wilson number two. He's going to come in here with a team bereft of skill talent. We're sure the floor of the skill talent is better than what it was maybe the last year or two, but they're still not great. They're still not making, you know, Corey Davis, I'm sorry, or Tevin Coleman is not making Zach Wilson better. There's no players on this team that are making Zach Wilson better outside of Mekhi Becton, outside of Quinn and Williams. So when you have to come in there and be the hero, I have significant reservations and doubts that a rookie quarterback can do that. Andrew Luck did it for a few years in Indianapolis. You saw how that ended. He retired in his prime. So that's why, to me, at least, I'm not feeling as confident in the Jets moving forward just because they do take a quarterback at two. I think that's going to put them in a cycle that they've been in before, and I think they'll be back in the same situation there are now in three or four years. So that's why, at least to me, the Bengals, at least while they did the same thing, admittedly, right, they took Joe Burrow without much help, especially on the offensive line. I see that does work out. But I do think at least they are starting to build in the right direction to where they could turn around, and I do think they are the closest to me in my mind to snapping their losing streak in the postseason. 2021 has been kind to losing organizations in the past. Again, we saw the Browns, the Bills, the Buccaneers, all three of those teams snap very long postseason losing streaks. We've seen the Baylor Bears make the Final Four for the first time on the men's side since 1950. So... It's been kind to teams that struggle in the postseason. So who is next? To me, the Bengals not winning a playoff game in 30 years. Again, I don't think any of these teams I listed, the Sabres making the playoffs, the Kings making the playoffs in the NBA, the Jets making the playoffs, the Pirates um, winning a postseason series, the Mariners making the playoffs. I don't personally think any of these teams that I've listed are breaking their, their postseason streak, either losing in the postseason or just making the playoffs outright, I don't think any of these teams are breaking it this year. So this is going to happen in 2022 or 2023. But we'll still take the good vibes of the losing organizations that have happened so far and try to bring some positivity to a team and see who's next. So I'm going with the Bengals. I think to be the Bengals are the team, the biggest loser that is next to break the streak and win a playoff game for the first time in maybe, let's say, 31 years or 32 years whenever this goes down. So I'm curious your thoughts. 
what losing organization that hasn't made the playoffs in a while, hasn't won a postseason series or a game in a while, which one is next to breaking the streak? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. You can tweet me directly there. You can comment on the live stream that's on Twitter. You can comment on the live stream that's on Facebook. Love to hear your thoughts. And when we come back, we'll stick with some football here. And the NFL, not surprisingly, right? They, they agreed to this last year, a 17-game schedule, but they didn't implement it last year. They just agreed that the owners had the ability to implement that when they want in the latest CBA that was signed last year by the players and the owners. Well, the owners have officially voted, and a 17-game schedule is coming to 2021, coming to a city near you. I was against the 17-game schedule. I thought it was bad for the NFL. Well, I've changed my tune, and the pandemic has to thank for that. I'll tell you why um, I feel that way. Next, it is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two here with you. We are rolling until 11 a.m. Eastern. Matt Snyder, very talented MLB reporter, writer for CBS Sports will join us in 20 minutes. We'll get his MLB season predictions. I'll give you my MLB season predictions. We'll go back and forth, MVP, World Series picks. We'll give you all our thoughts as MLB opening day is upon us. As a reminder, coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, or phenomenal dinners, check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, classic New York pizza joint also in Bayshore, or online at BigItalyPizza.com. So before we talk opening day with Matt, before we get his season predictions um, and, and thoughts on the Major League Baseball season, as is opening day, I do want to talk about the NFL and a rule change that they made earlier this week. And that was expanding the regular season from 16 games to 17 games. Now, remember, this was already approved last year in the CBA when, when the players and the owners were going back and forth on the new collective bargaining agreement. In there, in, in one of those, you know, one of those packs that was agreed to on both sides was that the owners had the ability to implement a 17th game in the regular season sort of when they wanted to. They didn't do it for the 2020 season. But basically, any time that all the owners voted, yeah, we'll do it, they had the ability without the player. Well, they already got the player's permission with, the, with them signing the CBA. Last year, they were able to implement a 17-game season. And this week, they voted and approved a 17th game for 2021. So I will be honest here. I was against this initially. I thought this was a bad idea. I thought it would be bad for the sport. I thought it would ruin the game. That was, if you ask me 17 games this time last year, I'd say bad idea. Now you ask me about 17 games this year on March or on April. I keep saying March. I keep forgetting it's April 1st. April 1st, 2021. I have changed my tune. I think it's a good idea. And you know what's changed my tune? The pandemic. The global pandemic that we all went through here for now over a year changed my thought. And I'm actually all in on 17 games as in the regular season for the NFL. And I think it's a great idea, and here's why. This time last year, pre-pandemic, right, before obviously the world changed and everything as we knew uh, was different, 
I thought 17 games and adding an extra regular season game was bad for the game because I thought, honestly, it would lead to a worse product, right? 17 games would mean less practice time during the week, would mean less training camp leading up to the season, less preseason games, which although a lot of the great players now aren't even playing the preseason anyway. But anyway, it's just less opportunities to basically get the rust off early and by the time week one comes in September to play your best football. So I thought, honestly, the product is going to get worse because, sure, we'll have an extra regular season game at the end of the year, but leading up to the regular season, and even in the regular season when practices would be very limited in order to kind of prevent players' bodies from breaking down with the extra wear and tear of an extra game, practices would basically go away and that less, you know, less practice, less training camp, less preseason games, I thought would lead to more bad football. And honestly, I don't know about you, I love football. I'm a huge, huge football fan. But I didn't think more bad football would be a good idea. I thought more bad football would be a bad idea. Part of the reason why we love the NFL so much is it's great, competitive, and they put a good product on the field for only 16 weeks of the year. The scarcity, the lack of demand, or the lack of supply, I should say, is what fuels the high demand. But here's, here's what changed for me. Here's why I'm all on board now with the 17 games. The pandemic and everything that came with it, but especially in terms of the NFL aspect of it, going to virtual off-season workouts, going to a truncated training camp, wiping out preseason games, it still showed to me that, yeah, less practice time, less training camp, no preseason games. But guess what? You can still have good football on the field. I did not think those two were possible or able to coexist. I thought it had to be one or the other. Either you're going to have practice, you're going to get, you know, you're going to be able to work with your team in the offseason, you're going to be able to have training camp to knock the rust off, get on the same page, and week one we're watching good football. Or... You're not. It's going to be, you know, two or three weeks of training camp, not a lot of hitting, not a lot of, of, you know, toughness built, if you will, that happens a lot during training camp, knocking the rust off, getting ready for the season. And instead, I kind of thought basically training camp would play out in the regular season. The first month or, or so of the season, because there's no games, because there's, again, l- lack of hitting or, or the practice time has been significantly cut because of COVID protocols last year. I thought, honestly, the first month of the year, was going to be atrocious. It was going to be hard to watch. It was going to be ugly football, sloppy football. And we're sitting here like, man, this is, <sighs> I know it's the NFL. I know it's a, a small, you know, we only get so many weeks of the year, but this is tough. This is bad. And that was not the case. Looking back, I don't ever recall thinking, man, this is sloppy. This is ugly. You know, shield my eyes. I don't want to watch this. Never was the case. And, and, you still had players going to new teams. You have Tom Brady, right, unable to even technically, even though it seems like he skirted the rules a little bit, technically with how the offseason worked last year, right, with everything being virtual, weren't allowed in the facility, basically weren't allowed to see your teammates until training camp started in, in late July, early August. In theory, when Tom Brady signed in Tampa Bay back in March, he was unable to see Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, his teammates until August. Normally, again, you have off-season practices, you have training camp, you have mini camps, you have OTAs, you have all these different abilities and different programs in the off-season to get back to the facility, work with the coaching staff, work with the new players if you're on a new team, and just get some continuity built early on. So that way week one comes 
um, you'd be playing well. Obviously, as we know, the Buccaneers got off to a slow start. Really took 12 or 13 weeks of them to ramp up. But at the same time, it wasn't that ugly to watch. It wasn't that hard to watch. Obviously, as we know, Tom Brady had no issue building chemistry and, and won the Super Bowl. But even rookies, too. Joe Burrow, before he got hurt, was playing really well. Justin Herbert came out of nowhere, took over the league as a rookie, won rookie of the year. Justin Jefferson was tremendous in his time in Minnesota. So you had young guys coming into the league for the first time, not seeing their teammates or their coaches really until August. You had players in free agency going elsewhere. Tom Brady going from New England, where he was there for 20 years, to Tampa Bay, still getting the job done and winning a Super Bowl. You had all this happen, again, without off-season training, without the ability to go to the facility until late July, early August for training camp. No preseason games, so literally zero ability to get the rust off. And we still had good football. So all my concerns were alleviated because now, with the 17th game again, we're going to have less practice time. We're going to have less training camp. We already have one preseason game knocked off, so now there's 17 games in the regular season, three preseason games. And that still equaled good football. So I, I love it. I, I can't lie to you. I thought more football would be bad. Then the pandemic came and said, hey, listen, you don't really, not that you don't need practice, but practice doesn't mean we're going to have some bad football. It's still professionals, and it's still going to be a, a watchable product. So bring it on. Bring it on. Bring on more football. I'm excited. I'm pumped up. So that's why my tune change. You can thank the pandemic, if you will. Obviously, it's nothing to be happy about. But it has, I will say, it has forced us to adjust our life more than we ever really thought was conceivable before, obviously, a global pandemic came and changed the world as we knew it. And one of those things that changed, again, I, I thought that this um, forcing everything to be online, forcing even in season, if you remember, the Tennessee Titans, when they had their COVID outbreak early in the year, they were shut down for, I believe it was 12 days, if, if, that, if that number is correct off the top of my head, where they were basically in quarantine for 12 days. And then they came out on a Tuesday night against the Buffalo Bills and shellacked them, took them to the woodshed, to where they were in quarantine for two days. I think they had one or two practices on like Saturday or Sunday just to get back to the facility, get the legs moving. And they put a whooping on the Bills. So, yeah, less practice time is not, you know, mutually exclusive or, or isn't, or isn't a, a prerequisite, I should say, to watching some good football. We can still have good games get played with less practice time, less training camp, less preseason games. And I'm all in for it then. That's the case. I am all in. And I'll say this too. We have 17 games now. It's not stopping at 17. We're getting to 18. Now, I think 18 could be the number where after that, I don't think we're going to expand too much more than that. But don't be fooled. It was the first time in a long time that the NFL regular season expanded. It's not stopping at 17. It could take until the new CBA in 10 years. There are 10-year deals. So 2028, 2029, 2030, when they start to renegotiate, we're going to get an 18th game. Don't be fooled. Where there's 17, there's 18. And I'm in. I'm in. I think we've seen so far, I think 2020 showed 
that you could still have really, really good football games and still be able to preserve players' bodies and practice during the week and practice in training camp without preseason games. So hopefully, you know, knock on wood, injuries don't go through the roof or don't have more catastrophic injuries week 17. Obviously, as we know, these games, you know, all these hits are car crashes. You're now you're exposing every player to 40 or 50 more hits than normal. I hope when it goes to 18, we get a second bye week in there, or at least with the expanded postseason. You know, numbers-wise, it doesn't really add up too much, but at least give some extra teams a bye. I think that's fair, personally, just to kind of save yourself and give a team a chance to catch their breath a little bit. But I'm in. My, my tune has changed, I'll be honest. When it was 17 games, I can't sit here and tell you that I was disappointed, that I thought it was good for the – or I thought it was bad for the league, I thought it was bad for the fans. I thought this is great. I thought this was great. Player safety-wise, not great. I can't, can't deny that. Can't preach player safety and then all of a sudden, you know, run an extra game out there. But I will say, the pandemic to me helped prove that you can have less practice time, preserve your bodies through the week, uh, throughout the week, and still have great games on Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Thursday and probably Black Friday. So I think it's good. I'm about, I am pumped up. 17 games. Let's go. Let's go. So I'm curious your thoughts. Facebook Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show. Do you like the 17-game regular season? think it's smart for the NFL to expand their regular season. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? We'll get your thoughts. Again, Facebook Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. When we come back, it is Major League Baseball opening day always one of the best days of the year truly a national holiday in the sports calendar that you know if you're gonna have two days major baseball opening day monday after the super bowl i'll say the two holidays that we should really push for to have off but i am pumped up i'm fired up baseball opening days here who's winning the division who is going to the world series well someone who knows very well about that matt snyder again cbs sports mlb reporter writer he will join us next we get his thoughts Give you my thoughts as well. We'll go back and forth on some season predictions. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to back the Ryan Hickey Show. Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is a national holiday. Opening day in baseball, the best day of the calendar year. If my, in my mind, if you're going to make one sports holiday, it would be opening day. Put everyone off, give everyone off, sit in front of the couch, watch 12 hours of baseball, and let's have ourselves a day. So to talk about opening day, talk about some preseason predictions who's going to win the division who's going to be some postseason winners we bring in one of the best in the business matt snyder cbs sports mlb reporter at matt snyder cbs where you can find his great work on twitter matt happy opening day thanks for giving us a few minutes here hey uh happy to be here uh good way to kick off opening day just go through some predictions i love it yeah oh pumped up love it especially you know being a mets fan myself matt here really couldn't ask for a better 12 hours leading yeah. into opening day <laughs> 
So life is good. Kind of, you know, put the, uh, the dread and the worry aside and let's focus on some baseball the way it should be. I am pumped up. So you know what we'll do? We'll have a little fun here. We'll get some, we'll get some theme music here. We're going we're gonna to have some fun here, man. We're going to go through some preseason predictions. Um, so I'm curious here. We'll, we'll go division by division here. In, um, in the AL East, is it the Yankees division to lose in your minds? Yes. Yeah, it is. I mean, I know that the Rays won last year and they went to the World Series and everything, but like it was just a 60 game season mm -hmm. and we're replacing uh, Charlie Morton and Blake Snell with Chris Archer, 42 year old Rich Hill, uh, Michael Waka, and uh, they were very heavily reliant on the bullpen and Nick Anderson's hurt now. Mm -hmm. And he was possibly the best reliever in baseball last year in the regular season. So I, the Rays are worse to me. I, I like the Blue Jays. Obviously, I think the Red Sox are going to be better. They were actually a lot better in September. Just they were out of the race, so not a lot of people noticed. But I, I really do think that's the Yankees' division to lose. So I'm with you there, but I guess I have this question because I was looking at the Yankees. Are, are they, in your mind, the biggest boom or bust team? And I ask that because you look at the rotation. Obviously, Garrett Cole is great. He's the ace. But behind him, you have Coy Kluber. You have Jameson Tyon. You have Domingo Herman returning. Obviously, the injury history with Aaron Judge and, and Giancarlo Samar, both of those guys can't stay healthy at the same time, really ever. Gary Sanchez had a, a hell of a year last year in terms of being a career low. Is there, like, I'm with you. I'm picking the Yankees for sure. Is there any, I guess, pause or concern when you look at just how many things they sort of need to go right in order for them to not even win the division but get to the World Series? Or is this, is, am I kind of being overly pessimistic, I guess? Uh, I'm not sure if they're the biggest. Okay. Um, both Chicago teams come to mind. Like the, the White Sox have a lot of talent, but they don't have much depth, and they already lost Jimenez. Mm -hmm. uh, the Cubs could be really good, but if they're if they follow the race, they could trade all their players before the deadline. Uh, but yeah, the Yankees are up there on that. Like especially because of how much we've seen injury prone. John Carlos Stanton, injury prone mm -hmm. Aaron Judge, how much the team has gone through on that front. And yeah, if, if Cole, he's not injury prone, to be clear, but right. if Cole did go down, <sighs> all of a sudden the rotation, man, there's a lot that you don't like there. Yeah. So yes, they are they are definitely boomer bust. So it's by no means are they a sure thing. All right, so you brought the White Sox. So let's go to the AL Central. That's interesting. I'm taking the Twins personally. I like the power that they still have in their lineup. And to be honest, Matt, like part of it, like you just mentioned, I don't trust the White Sox fully. I love their talent, but you said their depth is questionable. Are you picking the White Sox to win the Central? Or are you going with the Twins? I had the White Sox before the Jimenez injury. Okay. I'm sticking with them. <laughs> but I, I'll just say I'm not confident in it because, like I said, I, I actually did uh, – AL Central X Factors, uh, like the middle of March, we, we did one of those for every division. And on the, the AL Central for the White Sox, I put it was their depth because they have – it looked like you went through every single position and you're like, oh, yeah, this looks really good. But, oh, man, if that guy gets hurt, they're in big <laughs> trouble. And, yeah, I know nobody wants anybody to get hurt. Nobody wants their starters to get hurt. But with the White Sox, it just seemed extreme. And they already lost Jimenez. It, like, I look at the rotation, they have three really good pitchers and then question marks. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's just how it looks with the rest of the team. I'm going to stick with the White Sox, but the Twins might be the smart bet there. It, it's one of those two teams. So I want to ask you about La Russa. So you put your preseason prediction out for CBS Sports. You can find it at, at Matt Snyder CBS on Twitter is where you have a lot of links to your stories. You had the AL Manager of the Year as Tony La Russa. I'm curious. Obviously, he's been out of the – well, 
out of the managerial game, we'll say for a while here, adopting a very young um, White Sox team. What makes you so confident that Larusa could come in there and guide this team, not to the top, but you know, put them in postseason contention and it won't be a disaster? <laughs> no, you're not, not, huh? I, I, I had them winning the division. Okay. So I figured if they win the division, then he might win manager of the year. That was all that was to that. Gotcha. Um, okay. I, I, one thing that kind of sold me a little bit, like I initially thought it was a laughable move. Right. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought this is so mismatched with how their team seems. Mm -hmm. But when I heard an interview with Tim Anderson and he said he talked to La Russa and he loves him now and everything's ironed out, I thought if Tim Anderson, the lord of all bat flips, somehow <laughs> had a a conversation with Tony LaRusa, who seems like the most old school mindset manager there is. If those two guys had a conversation and they're both good with each other, then maybe this is going to be okay. Now we need to see it in practice, mm -hmm. obviously, but uh, I, I, I kind of thought if, if Tim Anderson came out and said he's good with them, then I, I'm going to give it a chance. You know, what they say, Matt, opposites attract. So maybe that's what's going yeah. on here. Like you said, very old school with LaRusa and, very young and fun White Sox team. We'll see. All right. So you have the White Sox with the Central. I have the Twins. We both have the Yankees, the AL East. The AL West, I think, is interesting. I I'm going with the Athletics here. I think they can repeat what they did in 2020, albeit a very short season. Uh, so you're picking the, the Astros to rebound. What is your confidence with the uh, Houston team? Oh, I, I love the Astros rebound. I hate the fact that they lost George Springer. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's obviously the lineup dynamics different because he's not going to lead off. But – getting your Don Alvarez back after he just basically missed the whole year last year. I feel like that can mitigate some of the Springer loss. Uh, I feel like Kyle Tucker kind of had his breakout season, but there's a little bit more there. And I like the pitching staff. I know there's no Verlander, but you get a whole year of Lance McCullers Jr., uh, Christian Javier, Jose Arcudi. Uh They've got a little bit there behind Zach Granke. Uh, the bullpen is decent. I don't think it's a very good division overall. Mm -hmm. I, I think that 88 wins could take it, and uh, the Astros are my horse there. Uh, the A's are fine. I, I, they lost Liam Hendricks. We'll see if Trevor Rosenthal can kind of keep up what he did last year. If he did, then that kind of makes up for losing Hendricks. Uh, they lost Marcus Simeon. We'll see how Elvis Andrews plays. Again, uh, if he plays well, Simeon wasn't that great last year, so that makes up for that. But I, I just I kind of had the gut feel that the A's are in for a little bit of a downturn. Um, watch the Angels. Really? Is, it, is this the year? Well, they made the playoffs once. Yeah, I mean, is well, this... that's the thing. Like, I, I, we do this every single year. Like, okay, maybe this is the year the Angels turn around and we get to see a deep Mike Trout playoff run. So I didn't pick them because I'm tired of getting suckered into that. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I feel like there's a little bit more in the pitching staff this time around. Uh, they've got Anthony Rendon with mm -hmm. Trout. I feel like Jared Walsh is, is primed for a big breakout season. David Fletcher is an excellent and underrated and pretty unknown guy to, to hit in front of Trout and Rendon there. Um, I'd love to see if Otani can do something like pitch 120 innings and get 500 at-bats and see what he can do with that. I, the Angels are very interesting. Are you picking them as a, as a wild card? Are you feeling that not, good? In, no, okay. Like I said, I, I'm done getting suckered in on them, <laughs> but I just, I'm still watching them. Still watching. So who I have though? I'm going. I, I even though I kind of just said I didn't trust the White Sox before. Talk about the Central. I'm picking them to make the playoffs. I'm with their talent is great. And Menes should hopefully fingers crossed return maybe late August, early September. 
And I will go with the Astros. And also, I don't know, the, the, e, the AL is just seems a little top-heavy to me. Which teams are you going wild card-wise? It does. Um, I had the Twins and Blue Jays. So I was gonna, I'm glad you brought the Blue Jays. I'm curious about them. I kind of, per, personally, this on the outside, I kind of view the, the Blue Jays as almost like a Phillies team where they'll make some big, splashy moves. They have some big headline names. But it doesn't really equate to much. What is with what, what do you think about the Blue Jays to where you think they'll make a postseason run this year? Well, I already thought the offense was amazing. And okay. they added Springer and Simeon to that mix. You still feel like there's a little bit more untapped upside <clears throat> Sorry, with someone like uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., mm-hmm. Bo Bichette, who like, he was injured last year for a little bit, and then Kevin Vigio. Like, man, that's just there, – there's Lourdes Gurriel, Teoscar Hernandez. There's so much – upside in that offense and then the rotation there are question marks behind Ryu like are we going to get the best version of Robbie Ray for example Mm -hmm. and you know they just lost Kirby Yates who was set to close Uh, so there are definitely questions there but I'm going with the upside I I think they're a lot of fun maybe I got sucked in the way I've gotten sucked into the Angels in past years (laughs) I don't know it's possible I like it though I like the Blue Years pick yeah they they Especially, like you said, lineup-wise and youth-wise, they are loaded. It's just... Yeah. Well, I hope... Yeah. It'll be interesting. I hope they do pull through. We're talking about Matt Snyder, a uh, very great uh, Major League Baseball reporter for CBS Sports, at Matt, at Matt Snyder CBS. Easy for me to say on Twitter. you find his great work. How about the NL, Matt? We'll go with the NL East. I'm picking the Braves. To me, they're one of the best just flat-out regular season teams in baseball at this point, what they put the, the roster together. Are you agreeing, or are you going with another team? I have the Braves. Uh, I do think it's a toss-up with the Mets, though. Um, and uh, I, I think a lot of people have been, like, looping in both the Nationals and Phillies, maybe just the Nationals, but also some people have also been saying maybe it's a five-team race with the Marlins. No, I'm not seeing that. I think it's two. I think it's going to be one of the best two-team races in baseball, actually, but I do have the Braves by a, by a nose. Was the Marlins' run last year to the playoffs just a, a byproduct of just a fluky 2020 season, or yeah. is there that's it? It was. Uh, they were 10 and three in seven inning games, um, and uh, you know some <laughs> of that you could say, oh well, they they were really good at whatever, but some of it I could just say, well yeah, it's just kind of fluky. Yeah. So yeah. The best seven inning team in baseball, huh? That they got something yes. going for for them at least. Yeah. Um, the division here that I think is the biggest toss that I don't feel confident really in any team at all is the NL Central. You talk about the Cubs being one of the biggest boomer bust teams, possibly yeah. in baseball with the White Sox. Which way are you going here with the Central? I picked the Cardinals. Um, like you said, it's there's nothing here to be confident about, though, because Jeez, it's, it's yeah. the worst division in baseball. Nobody, well, I don't want to say nobody's good because surely somebody will end up being good. Well, maybe not. Uh, but, uh, I, I just feel like there's n- no reason to be overly confident in anything here. Uh, every single team, I, I would feel more confident in pointing out their flaws than pointing out what they're good at. So it's the Cardinals are the pick. I think the team I would be second most confident in would be the Cubs. Then after that, Brewers. Um, actually, I am confident in one thing. I'm confident in the Pirates center <laughs> class because they're terrible. <laughs> but the other four teams, I'm not confident in much. So you're saying that uh, that big postseason losing streak of since 1992, it's not in danger of getting broken this year for, uh, for no, Pittsburgh. It's not. Is what no, no. Uh, many, not many teams, Matt. You could say the season's over at opening day. The Pirates, unfortunately, is one of those teams. I do want to ask you about the Cubs, though, because 
I mean, obviously, as we know, they, they built that tremendous core of young players. They won the World Series. I just feel like every year, it's just they get less and less, whether it's dynamic, they just seem less and less inclined to keep the good times. Like, what is with the Cubs? Is it an ownership problem where they just don't keep the good teams together and that sort of bad vibe is trickling down? Because the names on the team are, are still there, granted, yeah, a little less than that. Like, what's, what, what is with the Cubs? That's a good question. Um, I'm sure if, if anybody knew it, we would have unlocked it by now. Mm -hmm. But that's that's one of the reasons where I, I, on the boom end, when we talked about boom or bust, if you look at Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Wilson Contreras, uh, the best versions of those guys, uh, not to mention adding Jock Peterson to the mix, and uh, I don't put much stock stock in spring stats, but we've seen good versions of Jock, and he was he hit like eight bombs in the spring, like there's a possibility that this lineup could be one of the best lineups in baseball. If you look at Ian Happ leading off, leading off at the top and what he's been since they brought him back up in 2019, um, the pitching staff's interesting because it is the softest tossing pitching staff I think we've seen in years, but you've got guys who can get out. Kyle Hendricks remains completely underrated. Uh, Zach Davies was really good last year. Um, and if they can get the best versions of some of the other guys there, it's an interesting team. I, I'm not confident in them going to the playoffs or anything, but it's it's certainly a team to watch because if they all play like they can and like we've seen them play before, that is a playoff team. Mm -hmm. I, I'm with you. Yeah, it's, the potential is there. Is there any chance any of these core guys are on the team, let's say, in two years? Obviously, Brian and Javi are, are free agent at the end of the year. Is this one of those things where they'll just – probably most likely go somewhere else. Is there any chance of retaining somewhat of this young core they had built in 2016? Um, I, I think Brian's gone pretty much no matter what mm -hmm. in free agency at the end of the year. Uh, I think there's a chance that Baez signs an extension at some point during okay. the season. I think there's a chance that we hear Rizzo news before the season starts, actually. Okay. Uh, as, as last minute as Lindor was. I think there's a chance Rizzo happens today. Wow, all um, right. I, uh, I I think Contreras will be traded. If they fall out of the race, Contreras will be traded in July. If they're still in the race, I think Contreras is traded in the offseason. Uh, those are kind of gut feels, but they're backed up by things we've seen and heard. The Javi stuff is interesting. Yeah, that would be uh, – I like Javi. He, he, it's, it, the, the main thing on that one for me is – he seems like he really, really, really wants to stay. Mm -hmm. And he's so popular in Wrigleyville. The, the ownership group has alienated the fan base so much since 2016. And, and, and that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? Holy You're cow. the ownership group that finally breaks the curse and now everybody hates you? Like, come on, guys. Uh, Matt, I am so with you there. It's almost impossible, you think, to do. But they, the Ricketts family managed to do that for sure. The quickest thing I think we'll talk about here, the NL West. I think it's by far a runaway. The Rockies are winning the division this year. Really, I don't know why the other four teams are going to be playing out there. What are you, uh, what are you thinking here? Yeah, I agree. I will say this. Uh, how? Oh, sorry. I mean, cut you off there. You want to talk no, some, no, some I, Rockies? I didn't know what else to say. No, I don't. <laughs> I'm glad you interrupted. How close can the Padres keep this division with the Dodgers? <sighs> Five somewhat, games? Somewhat. Uh, that's tough for me. I I feel like the Dodgers are going to win like 105 to 110. And I don't know if the Padres can win 100. So I, I don't think five games even. I, I love the Padres. Jeez. But 
95 wins seems like the top of the ceiling for me, and I just don't think that's going to be good enough to really push the Dodgers. I just think the Dodgers are so good. Um, and I hate doing that because generally I'm a champion for a team like the Padres. Um, but I just – they're – the Dodgers are so good, and the the problem is the opposite with like what I discussed on the Boomer Bust teams, like the Yankees and the White Sox, is the Dodgers are so deep. They just sent like David Price and Dustin May, or no, and Gon- Tony Gonsolin to the bullpen. You, those guys will be in the rotation on every other team. Mm-hmm. That's how deep they are. So even if they have injuries, they can withstand those. It really is not fair, Matt. Like you look at to your point, the the farm system is great. The players they have are great. It's just Man, yep. yeah, it's closest 100%. thing, closest thing to a short, uh, short or closest lock you can have, I guess, to a short thing possible. Mets, Padres are my two wild yes. card teams. Do you agree with those two teams? Yeah, those are my exact two wild card teams. So, what is, what is your World Series? Is it a Dodgers World Series or anyone in the AL that could take them down? I and, had and Dodgers. I had Dodgers over White Sox. One okay. of the main reasons was almost everybody had Dodgers over Yankees, and I wanted to change it up. Uh, that was before Jimenez got hurt, but I, like I said, after he got hurt, I was like, I don't feel like changing this. And also, I think he'll be back by then. Mm-hmm. Maybe it won't be like a Kyle Schwarber, uh, just DH in the World Series type situation because the report the other day was four to five months. Maybe Jimenez has all of September to build himself up. I like the White Sox upside, and uh, if they are fully healthy, depth doesn't really matter that much in the postseason because you're playing the same lineup every day. So... I kind of I, I went with the White Sox in the AL. Not confident about that at all. I actually the other day was kind of starting to think about the Astros because Ooh. I feel like there's a possibility of Justin Verlander, hardcore stud reliever, coming back in late September <laughs> for the playoffs, like an X Factor late inning reliever. And I was just imagining it like a deep playoff run and them being the total villain. Like that could be fun. So I I, I thought about the Astros too. I like that. I'll go total boring. I will go Dodgers over Yankees. Two quick ones here for you, Matt, before we get out of here. To your point, like I said, we're going to have fans in the stands now for the first time, in the regular season at least, obviously in two years. What is going to be your reaction, you think, to the Astros now that there's actually fans in the stands on their road? Is there going to be still you know, a a visceral reaction, or is this just kind of, you think at this point, time has healed all wounds? That's tough to tell because I feel like there's still just as much vitriol on like social media, Mm -hmm. but I feel like those are only the most hardcore fans and a lot of fans who go aren't as hardcore about that. So it might be a little bit more tame than it would have been last year, but uh, I'm still looking forward to seeing it because I feel like there's at least some lingering animosity. Yeah, yeah, especially too in division. You hope, you know, like like the A's with with the nice rivalry that they're, you know, really uh, stirred up in the stands. And finally, ask you this, Matt. Obviously, you know, 2020 was a bizarre year, wacky year, as you put it, unique year in your, uh, in your columns. <laughs> Just don't say most unique. <laughs> exactly. 60 games, as we know, we haven't seen that in a while. What, how big of an impact playing 60 games now going to a full 162, is that going to have an impact on, on these players? I think, you know, we see teams maybe run out. Are we harder to sustain, harder to keep away injury? Is there a big impact you think it's going to happen in this season league-wide? from playing 60 games to 162 this season? I think so. The biggest thing is pitching because, mm-hmm. well, veteran-wise, I feel like if you're looking at somebody like Clayton Kershaw or Max Scherzer, it might actually help them because one of their years in their 30s, they didn't go you know, 200 innings. Maybe there's not near as much wear and tear. But on the young guys, we know we've seen shutdowns in the past. Uh, now, what do you do with that year? 
you know, it, it's when you're building a guy up and you think, okay, the progression is we want 120 innings, then 150, then 180, now we're good to go. Well, last year you got 55. I don't know how they're going to deal with younger guys on that front. And there are a lot of teams with really talented youngsters in the rotation, and nobody's really said what they're going to do or how they're going to deal with it. So it's going to be really interesting to see maybe once we get into July mm -hmm. how any starting pitcher under 26, how teams deal with them. And uh, hopefully we don't see a bunch of guys break down, but it is possible to see youngsters break down or start getting hit hard down the stretch. If they're, they're kind of out of their stamina and they don't have their stuff down the stretch, if they start getting hit hard, uh, it's going to be really interesting. That's fast. Actually, I, I thought about the opposite. You made a great point, right? It makes all the sense in the world. These older guys save their arms yes. and like you almost come back refreshing, right? Like these younger guys that are so used to routine and building it up. It's yeah, hopefully knock on wood here. We don't get major injuries, but you're right. It's going to be something to watch really after the all-star break and tread, uh, trade deadline going forward. Matt Snyder, CBS, is where you can find him on Twitter. CBSSports.com where you can find all of Matt's great MLB reporting. Matt, really appreciate the, uh, the time here on this uh, opening day. Enjoy all the games. All right, man. Have a good one. You as well. The great Matt Snyder there. Really appreciate his insight. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun going back and forth. Um, we'll react to it. Matt had a really interesting point about the 60-game season in 2020 to 2021, um, 162. We'll get that. What are your World Series thoughts? We'll get those. I'm going chalk. Really boring. I know. I'm sorry. Dodgers over Yankees. Just that's inevitable in my mind. We'll get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your World Series predictions when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in. I, <laughs> I think my voice just cracked like I was 14. I apologize for the hoarse voice. If you didn't know, it is Major League Baseball opening day. I am wearing my New York Mets jersey, pumped up. Love opening day. Love, love the Mets. Uh, giving me a lot, of, uh, a lot of sadness throughout the years, my 26 years here. But I will say this. Part of the reason why my voice is hoarse this morning is last night, the Mets finally made it official that they have signed their star shortstop, their major offseason acquisition, Francisco Lindor. And they have signed him to a 10-year, $341 million contract extension. Obviously, you can tell him fired up. In the car ride home from the train, worked late last night, took the train home, 10-minute drive, just me, myself, and I, screaming. At 11.45 at night, screaming to myself about the Mets getting it done, pumped up, let's go. Said uh, some other things that I, that I regret in terms of best shortstop in New York history. Get a little carried away, I can't lie. But a lot of screaming, a lot of pumped up, a lot of pride being a big Mets fan. Said the words, thank God I'm a Mets fan for the first time. Uh, last night, I think, ever. Because, man, there's been no real reason to be a Mets fan. Or, or no real reason to be excited to be a Mets fan. So life was good last night. Now, I will admit, part of the reason why I was so exuberant, I was so ecstatic, or literally screaming to myself at the top of the lungs as I'm driving home that the Mets signed Francisco Lindor. I was very frustrated because a lot of Mets fans were driving me crazy, to be completely honest. 
Oh, you know, with any fan base, football, basketball, baseball, as we know, every fan base has their smart fans, their logical fans, their reasonable fans, their, their fans. And every fan base has their delusional section, the pessimistic section, the doomsday section. And the past few days, with a deal looking like maybe it's not going to get done, potentially we'll see Francisco Lindor once more. Mets won't give him more. A lot of Mets fans were, one, going after Francisco Lindor for not taking the money. Stupid. And some Mets fans were getting on Steve Cohen for not spending the money. Stupid. So a lot of pessimism here in Mets land, if you will, uh, in the past few days. I've been preaching that the deal is going to get done. I've been preaching... Preaching that, listen, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's not not going to happen. It makes too much sense for Lindor. It makes too much sense for Steve Cohen. Neither of these guys are dummies. You don't make this trade with one year left on Francisco Lindor's deal and not resign him. You realize once he gets to Frangie, he's going to be more expensive. And if you're Francisco Lindor, you're not going to snub your nose at $330 million because you think you're more valuable and you're not going to sign a deal and bet on yourself. When, you know, maybe you'll get 40 or $50 million, but when it's that much money, it really doesn't make a difference. And a lot of Mets fans were jumping off the bridge where we're bashing Lindor, bashing the Mets. It was infuriating. So that was part of the reason why I was screaming at the top of my lungs last night because it was just venting a lot of anger. That it's going to get done. Don't worry about it. People are freaking out, and it took down my mood. So thank you for the Mets for getting it done. Thank you for... At least now, now having the, these psychos calm down. No one will be booing Lindor on opening day. Which, honestly, I was a little worried if the deal didn't get done, I wouldn't have booed him. I was on Lindor's side. Whatever, if you think you're worth $400 million, go get it. Who am I to say, take 325 If you feel you're worth it, go get it. I'm glad at the end of the day, the Mets and the Lindor are able to get it. So, pumped up. Baseball is back. Love opening day. And we appreciate Matt Slider for coming on here and giving us a few thoughts. Hope you enjoyed it. A lot of fun going back and forth with him talking, talking some ball. I do quickly, though, before we get out of here, I do want to hit on one thing really, really, really quick. As you know, if you listen to the show, hopefully relatively frequently, hopefully you like it. We're here every Monday, Thursday on the Worldwide Sports Network, uh, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, if you're just tuning in. But a lot of the, because it's only uh, a bi weekly show, I believe that's, by no, bi weekly is every other week. Because it's only twice. <laughs> To twice, twice a week, the show, as you can see. Very, very smart. I really earned that Penn State degree. But because the show is only twice a week, I have the luxury, if you will, of picking and choosing which stories I talk about for two hours because I can talk about things like the NFL schedule um, getting, getting extended to 17 games from 16. Even though that happened on Tuesday, I could talk about it today just because this is the next time on the air. I don't, I'm not on the air as often as, you know, every day. So it's not like we talked about it Tuesday. I'm not going to talk about it today. So I have the luxury, at least, of picking and choosing what stories I want to talk to you guys about, what I think you would think and hope is interesting. Um, and that's what I pick. But if you listen to the show, I think you notice, I rarely, if ever, bring up stories where other talk show hosts make opinions and use their opinions to talk about something. For example, like, you know, Colin Cowardy, if he says something ridiculous, for the most part, I'm not going to bring his take on the air and then crush him for it um, or whatever, talk about it. I just personally, I like to give my own spin on things. I like to take the news of the day and give you my thoughts, not talk about someone else's thoughts. Right? Free advertising, free approach for that show, but you tune in to listen to what I want to say. 
So I try to give you my thoughts on original stories, not talk about other people's thoughts, if that makes sense. But I do want to do that here for a second here. I mean, this is a long way of getting to it. I'm sorry. Stephen A. Smith, the other day, had a comment about Russell Westbrook that I really got annoyed about. But it's not just Stephen A. Smith I want to talk about. I think this, is a, this goes to a larger section of fans and sports that I want to address this to. So if you remember the other night, and if you missed it, well, you can hear it right now. Russell Westbrook had a triple-double last night. Oh, uh, the other night. Shocker. I know. The sky is blue. Russell Westbrook got a triple-double. The sky is blue. Fresh water tastes great. Whatever, whatever analogy you want to use for Captain Obvious. But what he did was unique was that he had 21 assists in that triple-double. Right? That, that's a crazy number. 21 assists. And the next day on Stephen A. Smith's show... He talked about that, you know, yeah, cool, 21 assists, pretty cool feat, pretty cool thing to accomplish. But Russell Westbrook doesn't have a ring, so who really cares? You know, this is who he is. He's a triple-double stat machine, but who really cares? Can't take him seriously because he's not a championship player. He doesn't have a ring. And I want to bring this comment up because he's not alone in thinking that. There's a good majority, it drives me crazy, where now the only focus in sports is about championships, who has rings, who doesn't, and that forces some people to not appreciate the talent on the field that we're watching on a nightly basis and almost ruins, if you will, the game for some people because they look at it, if, you're not a, if you don't have a championship, it doesn't matter. This, this is like overcorrected. We got to come back here because look, there is some validity to, you know, Playing the game to win, right? That's, as kids, when we played sports, you play the game to win. You play for the love of game, love of the game, if you will. Now is always the main goal, to be competitive, to try to win. So there is some validity to trying to win to where, yeah, a championship is a failure if I don't win a championship. Or the season is a failure, excuse me, if I don't win a championship, right? Championship or bust mentality. Um, win every game, try to be a champion, try to get to that peak. Some players, as we know, in high school, and college, and the pros, care about their stats. If I get 30 points, I don't care if you lose by 50. As long as I'm getting mine, that's okay. There has to be some sort of balance between caring about just the stats the guys have individually and also realizing that just because someone doesn't have a ring doesn't mean that whatever they do is invalid. Like, can we just appreciate what is going on on the court, what we're watching? We have really never seen a 21-point triple-double before. We are seeing things on a nightly basis from players that are fun to watch. And Russell Westbrook specifically is a player I respect the hell out of. I didn't want him on the Knicks when he was getting traded from the Rockets. I will say that. But with that said, I really respect and love Russell Westbrook's game because this is a guy who all he does is compete. Sometimes it's the detriment of the team, yes. Sometimes he is almost too focused, too hypersensitive, not hypersensitive, too hyper-focused, I should say, too hyperactive in the offense. To where, yeah, sometimes he is a detriment to the team offensively. Can't really shoot great. Sometimes he'll be too, shooting too much. Sometimes him taking over the game just wanted to everything. Rebound, pass, shoot. Sometimes it, it does, again, work against the team. But you can never accuse him of not trying, not competing, not trying to win. That's a guy who brings it. And for all, for all the criticism in the NBA about load management, these guys not hustling, not playing defense, this is a guy in Russell Westbrook who goes 100 miles an hour offensively, defensively, Every single night, he's healthy. And I respect the hell out of that. So just because he's never won a championship doesn't mean that all of a sudden we can snub our nose at a 21-point or 21-assist triple-double and say that doesn't matter. That's, I'm sorry. That is 
That's pathetic. That is really, really, really pathetic. And I hope that at least somehow we course correct to where we start realizing that, hey, we can enjoy players who win championships. We can respect the, the careers of LeBron and Jordan and Kareem and Bill Russell because they won all these titles. But we also can enjoy players that win championships that, hey, or that don't win championships that just are great players. Because, again, to sound corny here for a second, I mean, basketball, even though by far you can have the most individual impact on a game, is a team game after all. Like, Russell Westbrook isn't the reason why he doesn't have a championship. His play. He's good enough to be on the championship team. He could easily, if he wanted to, go to the Nets, go to the Lakers, and what? If he wins a title as a fourth guy, are we really going to look at Russell Westbrook differently? No. It's stupid. This ring conversation is driving me crazy now because now the GOAT is about rings. Who has the most championships? That's all that matters. Oh, how many rings you got? I can't hear you. Sorry, my rings are making too much noise. Or, or you're trash. You don't have a championship. You're trash. You stink. Like, what are we doing here? Not how it should be. So shame on Stephen A. Smith. And I really do like how Russell Westbrook responded to that. Basically saying he's a champion in life. Make it to the NBA from where he grew up. Having the success he had. Giving back to his community. He's a champion. And I respect Russell Westbrook a lot. I love his answer to that criticism. So I just wanted to say that quick off my chest. Um, and get that out of the way. We, we just got it. There, there has, there's some sort of middle here. We can't be on one side or the other. Rings or, or no rings. A championship ring doesn't define a player. It doesn't define someone's career, it doesn't define whether they have a good game or not, or whether we can appreciate the effort that they put in the game. Enjoy the damn basketball, that's all I'll say. So new edition, this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. We're here every Monday, Thursday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Tremendous talent up and down the lineup. Weekdays, weeknights, mornings, afternoons, nights. Download the app, WWSRN and iOS, Worldwide Sports Network on Android. Like us on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Follow us on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Like us on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Network. You can stay up to date with everything that goes on right here. All the tremendous shows right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. Look at our, um, our articles online, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. You won't regret it. So that'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show again. Enjoy opening day. Have a great, great weekend. Enjoy the Final Four in basketball. We'll talk to you on Monday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.